Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our phone today, kicking off uh, season three on the phone. I kind of dig it. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And we've got Rachel, who we're talking to all the way from, I think she said San Antonio, Texas, but I'm sorry yeah. if I'm wrong. Oh, good. I'm right. Nope. You got it. <laughs> and uh, Rachel is a licensed massage therapist who's been an entrepreneur for over a decade. She also does small business coaching and she's a massage instructor. So a lot of similarities with us over here. And she reached out to us because she said she just loves talking about anything and all things massage. And uh, yeah, we thought, what the hell, let's have her on and have an industry talk about all the things. So (laughs) thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So why don't we start right at the beginning, Rachel, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and tell them, you know, a little bit of background about you and your experience in this industry. Okay. Yeah. And this is probably the best way to get started, but I will try to keep it very succinct because as a lot of people in this industry, you know, our careers tend to like kind of take a bit of a journey. My career journey began in the world of development. So like I went to college, I did the traditional route, got a degree in communications and was a good little doobie and thought I was going to have a sort of like straight and narrow career path, you know? And I was working at the St. Louis Zoo, um, which if you're from St. Louis and you get a job offer at the zoo, you're just like, oh my God, this is where I'm going to work until I retire and this is going to be it. And Really? This is like um, a huge thing, the St. Louis Zoo? Yes, it is. If okay. you have your laptop in front of you, check it out. It's like an amazing organization. They do so much good stuff. And anyway, I, I was in the development world, which is basically fundraising and it's a lot of relationship building and um, kind of a systematic approach to relationship building, which we can probably get into in a little bit more depth later on. Um, But anyway, that was the world that I was living in. And the job that I had had previously to the St. Louis Zoo was I worked at Logan College of Chiropractic. So I was working at a chiropractic college as their alumni director and also as a development associate for the college. So I was helping them bring in a lot of money and do all that good stuff. But being in that world with chiropractors, you know, having these really interesting conversations every day and having access to everything on campus, you know, from like their labs to their library and, you know, just even their bookstore, everything was super healthy, you know, just the culture there. Um, really inspired me to go to massage school. And so the position that I had while I was there was super flexible. Um, There were a ton of like cocktail events, you know, for fundraising. And so during the day, if, for example, it was an evening where we were going to have a gala, I wouldn't go into work until like noon. Mm -hmm. So it's just super flexible, got to make my own hours. So I thought, you know, what the heck? I have always been a hands-on person. I know that I don't want to go to Logan, I know I don't want to go to a chiropractic program, like which is akin to medical school. It was very intense. The massage world was something that always fascinated me, but I just had this opportunity and literally over a bowl of oatmeal one day, total impulse decision, just decided what the heck I'm going to enroll. And I went to massage school. Um, I never intended massage to be the world that is my main thing. Um, like I said, I just, I thought it would be something fun to do on the side, really more of a hobby than a full-time vocation. But flash forward to a year, I graduate, I take the Inblex and pass the Inblex and get my license. And I start seeing clients very part-time. I'm still working at Logan and I'm really, really loving the work that I do. But like I said, it didn't really become a full-time passion thing until 
I left the job at Logan, started working at the zoo. A couple years into the zoo, I am stressed out. It's not a good fit. I'm waking up in the morning, like just really unhappy with where I am in my career. Um, and what I'm finding happening at this point in my journey is that uh, I would work a full day at the zoo doing, you know, my office job, whatever. And then I would come home at like 5.30 or 6. I would see a couple of clients in the evening out of my home. And those couple of hours were so fulfilling to me and really like hit me in a deeper, more, um, you know, core values kind of place than the work that I was doing do it doing during the day. The zoo job, what was what was killing it for you? It was honestly like a combination of having a bad boss and being sort of trapped in that position and not being able to make any lateral moves within the organization at that point. What makes a bad boss? Oh my God. Well I think that depends on you, you know, what okay, you're so, about and just a, a dissonance of values, you know? So that's that's what it was for you? That's what made your boss bad? That's what it was for me. Yeah. Well so basically and not to like dive into this too much just because that was um, ultimately a good thing. It was a bad thing that launched me in a positive direction. But at the time, my boss prevented me from making a lateral move to a position where I felt I would have been really fulfilled, a position with more creativity and more of the kind of client interactions that I was looking for at that point. So when I found out that my application had been denied because my boss got in the way of it, to me, that was really super unethical. And I was like, okay, I would never have done that to somebody that I was, you know, trying to mentor and sort yeah. of foster their professional development. So that just really hit me in a bad place. And I wasn't even supposed to know that that had happened. Why do you think that happened? <laughs> so, like, is there I something going on between? Year, yeah, we were in the middle of a capital campaign and we exceeded our, our goals every year. I mean, we raised 132 million and I think the goal was originally 120. So we were kicking ass. We were doing great. But I was plugging a lot of holes at the time. I was in a position that was newly created during the capital campaign. So I was basically assisting a number of, you know, VPs and executives that had, you know, different types of relationships. So like major gifts, corporate gifts, you know, just different things. And so for me to try to make a lateral move would have required them to replace me. And I think he just didn't want to, you know, mm, be faced with that. Right. And and part of that's understandable. That would have, it would have been really hard to replace that position, but it could have been done. And I was actually really looking forward to the opportunity to take over, um, well, <laughs> the, the position that I wanted to move, to make the move to would have been doing events like weddings, and it would have been like a guest services kind of position, what they called it. Mm -hmm. so it would have been uh, more creative events where like if they wanted, you know, butterflies and glitter, like it's on their dime, they're going to pay for it. Um, as opposed to the events and the things that I was doing in the development office, it was really more about fundraising, not you know, spending money. By the way, you just um, gave Mark his daily chuckles. You said butterflies and glitters, they have to pay for it. He just, yeah. <laughs> of yeah, all the things yeah. you could have, you could have said that, you know, the clients want butterflies and glitter. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, weddings at the zoo run up the high bills. So it would have been really fun to get in that, to get in that gig. But anyway, be that as it may, when that decision sort of trickled down and, and hit me in the heart, I was like, okay, I am going to leave. And when I feel like when you make a decision in your heart, it's just a matter of time and figuring out the logistics of it and, you know, planning your budget. That wasn't a tough move for you, though. No, no, no. It was, like I said, like, like the big yes or no 
the big, what do I do? That part was easy. It was more the, how do I mm. make this happen? That, that took the planning. Yeah. And that's but, totally um, relatable. I think most people, once you've checked out mentally with something, once you're done, mm-hmm, you're done. And mm-hmm. then it's just a matter of thinking about what is my next move? Not, am I going to make a next move? What is my next move? Cause I'm done here. I've checked out. Absolutely. And, and so many people I talked to, like just in the massage world, as far as coaching, they have a day job that they, you know, maybe on like a fulfillment scale, like on a one to 10, it's like, you know, maybe it's like between a four and a six. It's not like they totally hate it, but it's not completely fulfilling. But when we kind of unpack everything and we talk through like, well, why do you want to leave? They kind of decide like, okay, well, maybe the best thing is not to leave right now, but to keep the day job, plan the solo gig, and then kind of go from there. Because if it's not something that is, killing you like if it's not giving you more pain than joy and if it's not just you know painful for you to go in there every day then a lot of the time it's okay to just hang in there stash your cash think strategically and realize that you're making an investment you know you're i don't know it's more strategic than just what are you going to do because it feels good um and a lot of massage therapists i think unfortunately are driven by their feels. And it's really, really a success strategy to change your mindset into um, get out of your feels a little bit and think with the left side of your brain a little bit more (laughs) and um, think in terms of like, okay, well, how long can you put up with this job that sucks if it brings you enough money to to launch you into the thing that you really want to be at? Um, if it's a means to an end, maybe it is worth it to hang in there a little bit. If it's, you know, not below a four, like if it's not killing you. For me, the zoo at that point, it was probably around like a three or four in terms of fulfillment. So it was it was not like completely miserable, um, especially because I knew that I had an exit strategy, that there was an exit route. There, It was temporary. You know, this pain that I was experiencing in there was temporary. Um, that helps you know, with the strat- the strategic part of it, you know, that it's temporary. So anyway, I, I planned to leave sometime during the summer. I remember we were planning a big gala and we had this big event and they always do these big events in the summer. And so if you're at the zoo and you want to leave and you don't want to leave uh, <laughs> without screwing people over, basically, uh, or dumping a lot of stuff on your coworkers, you kind of have to leave in December. It's like the the only real dead time during the whole year. So right after the Thanksgiving holiday, I came back, I put in my notice and I left. And then starting in January, I opened Sunflower Massage Studio and I didn't have any idea how it was going to go. I had a little bit of a plan. I had a loyalty program. I had a membership built out. I had a couple of packages built out and I decided to launch a Groupon. I didn't want to do too much marketing, but I decided to do a Groupon. Um, at this at the time, there were a couple of other RubShare programs that hadn't been bought out by Groupon yet. So like Amazon Local was one of them that we used. Um, Living Social was the other one that I used. And just from tactfully, like very carefully figuring out how to um, partner with those programs and how to get you know, basically to like flush my studio full of new people, new clients, um, and then having a retention strategy in place. Within that first six months, we basically exploded. Um, my schedule was fully booked out. 
we were, I had enough loyalty members uh, committed to guaranteeing at least six figures for the rest of 2011. So basically like by June, by the end of June, I signed a second lease on a second location and hired my first 10 people. So I went from like not knowing what the hell was going to happen, having a ton of anxiety over it, but also just a lot of positive excitement over it too. It was, it was just a lot of, you know, staying up late, planning things out, scribbling like a maniac, you know, trying to like figure out like, what do I want my website to look like? And just all of the things that you don't even know you're going to have to figure out. Like I was just like hamster wheel braining it like for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then just, I don't know, within the first like year, we just kind of went from, you know, diapers to toddler. Like we just had this rapid growth spurt in the first year. Um, that I could not have planned for. It just kind of happened. There's a couple things that a couple directions we can go based on all the information you just gave us. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, you talked about the fact that you were planning, 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 because that's something that, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're teaching business, we talk about, you can't let success happen by accident. It has to happen by intent Mm -hmm. and you have to plan for everything. And if you have a good strategic plan, you really can't fail. But another direction I was thinking about going with this is the fact that you went from baby to toddler in six months. That is not, um, that's great. And that's amazing. And obviously, all of your planning and your your strategies fell into place. And you know, you were you started exploding. Um, I, I think I wanted to discuss the idea that, you know, it's, it's not something that I think people should expect going into business, you know, that you open your doors and suddenly you're flooded and you're, you've got a full schedule and you're opening a second and third and, well, you know, you, you got to put in the work, yeah, let's, right? Let's find out what did you do on Groupon and then what was the retention strategy that you, that you put in place? Yeah, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of it. But first, I want to talk about um, expectations and minding your expectations. So I had no, I had zero expectations. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. I had been self-employed before, like I had done some freelance work, but, but this was my very first like brick and mortar type business. Mm -hmm. Um, no idea what to expect really. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's smart to, um, hope for the best plan for the worst. And to also recognize when it's something you can take credit for and when it's just pure luck. And most people that I know that are very successful, it's a combination of both. And they they recognize that and they acknowledge that it's not 100% them. It's an ever-changing market. The market is like the ocean, okay? Like there are predictable factors and there are so many unpredictable factors. And so you have to go in with humility and an open-mindedness and a flexibility and adaptability to have a plan, but to also know that that plan is going to change along the way. Of course. And you can't expect you to never look at it that. again. Yeah, of course. Right, right. Well, but a lot of people with uh, anxiety or just a lot of like energy put into the idea of launching, there's a lot of anticipation and expectation and build up over that. And so they put all this energy into making their plan and wanting their plan to be perfect. And then this is where I come in as a coach and I'm like, okay, now, now, like, this is what we hope happens, but Mm -hmm. we're going to have to roll with it as 
we go forward, you know, things are, there's going to be the, the unpredictability factor, you know. So why don't you give us an idea of what you would consider to be the predictable and the unpredictable? Okay, well, um, and just to go back also to like the nuts and bolts of the plan, um, I, I expected to have some people sign up for my loyalty program. I expected to have like more than zero, right? But I didn't expect to have like eight out of 10 people sign up for it. Mm-hmm. But why also, why didn't, didn't you expect that? Because it hadn't been tested. Mm, okay. I, I didn't have a baseline from which to gauge the numbers. I didn't, I, I knew what my competitors were doing, but I didn't know all of the ins and outs of their, um, you know, their sales methodology there. You know, I, I didn't have all of the information. Um, all I really knew was enough to give me a jumping off point. And what I anticipated having to do was like, after I launch, maybe to tweak my numbers here and there and kind of, you know, kind of go from there. That's what I anticipated, but I had no idea like within the first six months that it would basically push me into this next you know, level where like I could no longer handle it as a solo practitioner. I needed to hire not just a few people, but like, like I just, I I wasn't anticipating having to grow that quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So an unpredictable factor is, as you're saying, the market, the marketplace is always changing. And also, I mean, ultimately you can plan, you can plan, you can plan, you can market, you can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, you can't force people to make decisions. You can't force clients through your door. You can't force clients to sign up for a loyalty program people are autonomous, they're going to do what they want to do. So there is a slight uh, variance in exactly where you think your business is going to go. Because at the end of the day, it's up to the people, you can do everything great, but people make their own own choices. That's so true. And and what you're speaking to, I would file that under the category of mindset. Um, And when I coach people on like their sales strategy, specifically, part of successful sales strategy is having the mindset of having um, a combination of being invested in the process of trying to get somebody on board and, and bring them in, but then also being detached from the outcome. Super mm-hmm. important. And for massage therapists, especially um, when I'm, well, let me, it depends on the structure. If you're a solo practitioner, you're doing all of it. If you have um, an organization with multiple roles within it, I I will coach the organization and and the people within the organization on like, you know, whatever their specific role is. So like if your job is to provide the service, but then you like walk them up to the front and then it's somebody else's job to like take their payment and, you know, finish the conversation that way, do not even mention selling anything. Like if your job is to provide the service, really important to stay within the pocket of that function. Um, this has to do with like the psychology and the, uh, the experience of the customer, they're going to make their own decision. And so the best thing that you can do, your sales strategy is just to provide value. That's it. Like just sell yourself and the value and the solution. And that's it. <laughs> don't, don't say like, Oh, we have great packages. Like, no, don't do any of that. Um, they will ask, they, you know, Clients aren't idiots. That's the other thing. Like you don't have to talk down to them or, or like try to spoon feed them what you have to offer. Like if they're interested, they're, they're going to come to you. They're going to. So I think that was also part of 
just to circle back, I think that was part of my initial success is because I had a sales strategy without realizing I had a sales strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that may have been fed by my experience as a development you know, professional. Well, I was going to um, ask you that if you feel like your your education and all of your experience in the other career helped you to understand how to make a plan and how to follow it to a T because, you know, the original question that Mark asked you was, you know, what did you do? How did you go from nothing? Like, yes, you said luck played a part yeah. of it. You're humble, but how it's, it's not all luck. We all know that, right? All three of us sitting here mm-hmm. who have been in the industry for a long time know that that's impossible, that it was all luck. So, you know, what was it? What did you do with with your partnerships with Groupon or Living Social or whatever other types of services you used? What were the specifics that you think got people through your doors to grow you from nothing to six figures in six months? There are a couple of different things. So um, what I'll speak to is specifically partnering with a rev share program like Groupon, um, because their whole setup is to share the revenue. So you're automatically setting yourself up uh, to limit how much you're actually going to be netting from the deal itself, mm-hmm. right? So if you go in expecting to make a bunch of money off of Groupon, you're probably going to be disappointed, right? Right. So I went in with the understanding that, first of all, I had nothing to lose. I had an empty schedule <laughs> to begin with. I had only things to gain. But what I did tactfully is I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out what is my top shelf offering. So I think for me at the time, it was basically all of the add-ons that I offered, like hot stone, aromatherapy, cupping, all the things, right? Plus, uh, I had a 60-minute or a 90-minute option, which is pretty pretty average. Like if you go on Groupon, like there's nothing really super special about that. But here's what was clever about it. So I figured out the numbers part of it. I don't remember, this is, you know, many, many years ago. I don't remember the exact numbers. But let's just say that with all the bells and whistles and all the add-ons, that that service added up to, let's just say, like $150, okay? So with Groupon, they wanted to do like a 50-50 split for my first deal, okay? So that drops that down to 75 bucks that I would be making, or that they would be offering it for. And then I would be making 50% off of that, okay? But what the clients are paying, the clients are paying $75, So I offered my membership program, my loyalty program at something around that number. So let's just say like 70 bucks for a monthly membership. So I knew that the people coming in were willing to spend that much on a hit or miss kind of service. Mm -hmm. Because when you go in for Groupon, it's a new experience. You don't know what to expect, right? You're kind of taking a risk as a consumer if you participate in things like Groupon, Mm -hmm. which I do, by the way. I love Groupon. So I also think, you know, if I'm willing to use Groupon, like I'm not going to have, and again, this is mindset stuff, but I'm not going to assume or have any limiting beliefs around the kind of clientele that Groupon's going to bring in. You just really never know. It's just all new people. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do have a negative, I shouldn't say negative, but a lot of people probably do have some sort of uh, reservations about using a service like Groupon. And I'll include myself in that because I know the type of Groupon shopper I am. I shouldn't assume that everybody is that way. But if I'm going on Groupon very often, I'm going on just to find a deal as a one-off. And I mean, I guess there is always the chance that I go to an establishment that I bought a Groupon for and I love it and I become a regular 
regular client. But my assumption early in my career was always that eh, if I get if somebody gets something off of Groupon, I might see them once, then they're going to go get a Groupon for another clinic, you know, and that that's definitely a limiting belief. It, it may be the case, but it may not be the case, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I use Groupon when I travel just to check out new places. And if I love it, I will blast them all over social media and, you know, recommend and do all the stuff that people do when they're it, it just you really never know. You mm-hmm. never know who's going to walk in the door. And to me, personally, my philosophy, I find that exciting. That's something I actually love about this industry is that the variety of humans that you get to interface with is just really cool. Um, and I genuinely love people. So, like, for me, that's fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I love the variety and the randomness and not knowing you know, what's what's going to come in the door. And and it's good um, that you know that about yourself. Because again, if I'm taking you and I as both massage therapists, for example, I mean, at this point in my career, I actually don't like the randomness anymore. I'm going to be honest with you. I love that mm, I have, yeah. you know, I've established a practice. I have clients that have been with me for a long time. And I pretty much operate by referral only because, you know, I've cut my practice down to a third of what it used to be. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. I like this sort of sense of I know who's coming through my door. It isn't so random anymore. But if you're a person that wants to have all these new people and, you know, reach as many people, then this absolutely makes sense. Um, I will add as well, by the way, and I, I could be wrong. So anybody listening who's Canadian, please jump in and tell me if I'm <laughs> wrong. But I feel that Groupon to um, Canadian RMTs, or at least RMTs in Ontario versus Groupon in the States, I think that we view these things differently. I don't think discount is, discounting is something that a lot of therapists here do. It's sort of, um, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it, almost like look down upon, like you don't want to sign up for something like that. But I think it's completely different mm. south of the border. I think a lot of RMTs would be very hesitant to offer any kind of discounting because it's really, I know Mark wants to say something about this. Am I am I totally off base here? No, you're not off base. I mean, in Ontario, in the regulated provinces, it's considered healthcare. And right. a lot of times the colleges mm. do have guidelines about discounts yeah. and discounting your fees, right? So for example, in Ontario, you can have have a sliding fee schedule, but you have to document as to why you have your sliding right. fee schedule. You can't just decide, hey, for this person here, this is what you're going to pay. Right. Right. You have to have your Which means we can fees. use Groupon. It's not that we can't because it's available to everyone and you can document it. I just think it's something that less therapists are inclined to do, or at least the ones that I've encountered that in would my work, career. That would possibly be something that you see more in the spa type of industry than right. you would see more in service. a healthcare setting. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's really interesting. You guys are the first Canadians I've actually ever had this conversation with. Oh, okay. (laughs) I have a lot of questions for you guys at this point. I didn't even think about that. Um, Do your clients pay out of pocket? Or does insurance cover a lot of it? Most of uh, most of the clients, I think, that get massage, at least in Ontario, I think it's over. Yeah, about two thirds is covered by um, extended healthcare. Majority of companies offer some kind of healthcare package that includes massage therapy. And again, because we are considered healthcare, it's for most people, it's similar to what they get for chiropractic coverage, coverage or physio coverage or naturopathic doctor coverage. So yeah, most of most of my clients don't pay out of pocket. That would completely change the marketplace. Absolutely. That single factor is like, who's paying for it? Yeah. And because Americans have to pay for it out of pocket because, you know, yay, healthcare in America. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And I mean, it depends on the market too. Like moving from St. Louis to San Antonio, Texas, in San Antonio, um, 
first of all, this is a wonderful city, but one of the cultural things that I have noticed is that a lot of services are just, their price points are a lot lower. So you see $40 massages on almost like every corner. Yeah. You, know, you see that. I charge one fifteen an hour. Um, so I've had to be really selective with where I set up my shop. And I also have never um, done insurance billing. That's never even been something that really lines up with my niche or, mm-hmm. you know, the scope of practice that I've set up. So um, I understand like if I were to, you know, shake the Etch-a-Sketch, so to speak, and like start completely over like a decade ago or whatever, I might actually look into that. I might actually look into doing more like medical or some type of niche where I could, uh, you know, do insurance billing. So describe to to me what, um, what your practice was like. I know, um, off mic, we talked about the fact that you actually sold your practice, but when you were running your practice, what was it? Was it more spa like, was it more spa like environment? Was it more clinical? What type of therapist were you and your associates? Oh, we always just said custom, uh, customized therapeutic, customized therapeutic. So we did a combination of certain spa services. We did some sugar scrubs and some kind of, you know, uh, fancy, fancy little treatments, you know, (laughs) stuff that's like really fun and just kind of um, attracts a lot of women, a lot of, you know, just, uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. The relaxation and pampering and luxurious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Right. Pampering, the fun stuff. Um, So a lot of that, but then more often than not with our membership, because that was the bread and butter of, you know, what kept us going. Um, I would say 80% of our clientele were members. And most of those uh, sessions were just um, a combination of deep tissue, hot stone, aromatherapy, um, heat, you know, mother earth pillows, hot wet towels, just, and then just really good uh, deep tissue and, and Swedish techniques. So just really custom. I really think what attracted people to us more than the technique or the actual massage side, honestly, was our culture and our environment um, and our other core values. And this is something that I love to talk about also. It's like creating a badass business identity. I think we just really kind of nailed that. And that's what we were known for is just kind of being this cool little sort of home away from home kind of spot with like local artists featured on the wall and our colors were really bright and funky and fun. We had monthly workshops that, you know, we did everything from like feature a local pet boutique owner. She was one of our, um, our community partners. Um, we had her come in and like talk about, um, Oh, she came in a bunch of times, but the first one she did was like how to take care of your pets over the holiday season and make sure that they're good. I'm going to cut you off. And I'm also, oh, you're going to hate me right now. I'm not only going to cut you off, I'm going to tell you that I actually disagree now with when you said earlier that you became successful by luck. I'm listening to you talk. And yes, you know, you did the planning. You definitely didn't expect to become successful in six months because that's crazy. Who would? But the fact of that you're talking about this company culture that you've created and all of these little details, these are things that when you go into business, if you're putting all of this effort into all these little details about the colors of the walls and this culture that you've created and having local artists come in, and maybe you didn't have all this in the beginning, but even setting up the Groupons and then having the the frame of mind to say, okay, now let's set up a membership type of structure where people pay no more than they were paying for the Groupon anyway. Everything you did was strategic. Your success was not by luck. You made a plan, you followed the plan, and you created 
a niche. Yes, we're Canadian. We say niche. Niche is not a word here. And you created a niche that your community in San Antonio was willing to pay $115 an hour when they could go down the street and get a massage for 40 bucks. Because most of the time people are not paying for the service. Exactly. They're paying, they're paying for the atmosphere. They're paying for everything else. Right. So, it's an experience. Yeah. It's a client experience. And this is, yeah. Well, and thank you so much for saying that. Oh my God. That's like, when you cut me off, I was like, oh God, what did I say? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just going to yell <laughs> and, at you now. No, it was not, it was not luck. Know, it is, I'm it like, is what, what you did. did. But it is what you did. And that's the thing is that the magnitude of your outcome was unexpected and you probably feel that is lucky. Yeah. But everything else is strategy. You employed your strategy. Yep. You employed your strategy. And I I just quickly wanted to go back before you carry on. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. I do that. Um, Was that you talked about you know, when you were working at the zoo, your level of satisfaction, you know, you had this whole scale and you said, oh, it was a three or a four. And, you know, sometimes if somebody's, you know, not satisfied, but it's not killing them, they're going to stay. And the, you know, mm-hmm. that you stay there and you have a strategy and you have an exit strategy and find your way out. And you talked about having a vision of where you're going and having a goal. And I um, I had just read something, so I had to pull it up on my Instagram. Another podcast that we listen to sometimes, The Radical RMT. Hey, Krista. Um, she had mm-hmm. Richard Platt on oh, recently, I love who's also a business coach. And mm-hmm. we, we love Richard Platt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about the exact thing that you just said when he spoke to Krista. And his quote was, if a goal doesn't scare and excite you at the same time, then it's probably not worth doing. And it's not an audacious goal. And I just loved that quote from him. And when you said that, I was like, exactly. Like, if you know that you need an exit strategy, and you need to get out, there has to be some fear. And there's going to be some fear. And you have to do things that scare the shit out of you. But you're also just so Mm -hmm. excited about where you're going, that all the little victories that you have are exciting. And then, you know, in your case, exploding in six months, that's insane. But even if you didn't explode like that, I think that was my point at the beginning when I said, you know, I don't want people to think they go at it on their own and, you know, they're going to make six figures in less than a year because that's that's not really an expectation that we want people to have. We want you to have a goal and a timeline for it, but be realistic with yourself. And what happened with you guys is amazing, just not necessarily typical, but I don't believe it was luck. I believe you employed the right strategy at the right time in the right market. That's it. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I love the fear uh, as as a guide. Um, one of my favorite little books is called The Obstacle is the Way. I usually give it to my coaching clients and um, friends and family uh, during the holidays or you know whenever our um, contract uh, terms, I usually give that as a gift. It's a little book. Um, but it talks about stoicism and basically having mental strength and stamina and knowing that whenever you're afraid or you're faced with fear or let's just say pain, something that's stressing you out, because stress and pain, you know, equate to fear in our world a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And using that as a guide, like asking yourself, okay, what am I avoiding? Because typically you're avoiding the thing that's stressful or painful. Mm -hmm. Knowing that the thing that you're avoiding, that's where your compass needs to guide you. And Mm -hmm. that's where you need to hone in on. Like the older I get and the more life I experience, the more I realize that that, you know, your feelings are not your enemy. Your feelings are your greatest guide. Mm -hmm. And, And especially the uncomfortable feelings, the ones that you don't want to face, that's the stuff that's even more important. And there's always with a capital A, always, 
an opportunity somewhere in every obstacle. There's, there's, I mean, at least one or two, there's, there's opportunity in every situation. 100%. So I know that's all like, that's all theory, you know, but, but it's very real. Like we can think about, okay, today's Friday, we're going into the weekend. Is there anything over the weekend that we're kind of dreading? Or is there anything like maybe for people that work a typical Monday through Friday, is there anything on Monday, right? That we're kind of like avoiding, like for, like as a life coach, I think somebody would tell you, examine that, like hone in on that. What mm-hmm. are the feelings going around there? And then also turn it on its head and say, well, what's the opportunity there? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And lately, I've been running my life on this theme that um, there has to be destruction in order for there to be creation, right? If you look through history, every, all, every great moment that's happened in your own life and other people's lives, it's because something first had to be torn down in order for your yeah. your mind to be able to think in such a way of like what am i going to do now even in your case it's a, you know it's a it's a smaller scale example but you got to a point in your career although this was your dream job you know working at this zoo which by the way i've got to google this place cuz i didn't know that working at a zoo was anybody's dream job but that's cool um you know, you had you had what you thought was the perfect career. You were doing, you know, work that was fulfilling, and then it became not fulfilling. And then you find out that somebody that was supposed to be on your team prevented you from doing what you really want to do in life. That destruction, that tearing you down, I think you said it hit you in the heart. That destruction is what forced you to start creating, right? So as you said, every single obstacle in your life, there is an opportunity for some sort of growth. And it it is uncomfortable and you have to look at it and you have to figure out, okay, what what don't I like here? What am I not happy with? And what can I change? And <laughs> I was having a conversation with um, somebody yesterday about their services that they offer and they're having a little bit of anxiety and some fear and they're feeling a little bit stuck. They're not sure like, cause basically what they're doing isn't working, but they're not sure where to go. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a brainstorm. And then after the brainstorm, she was like, well, what should I try? And I was like, try all of it. You don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Just, you know, screw it. Try, try all of it. Like half <laughs> of the battle is just having the guts to like throw a whole pile of stuff at the wall just to see what sticks, you know? Like My you old boss curl. used to say that all the time. That was like <laughs> really? his famous saying, Let's throw it all against the yeah. wall and see what sticks. That's Dude, because not everything is always going to stick, but something will. And then that will guide you. That will point you in a direction. And when we're talking about a service industry, you have to try a bunch of different services to see what's going to work. And as far as um, this is kind of a derailing, but like talking about niche or niche, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> niche. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> With m- the massage world, in my in my experience, I've had multiple, uh, sorry, hard niches over <laughs> the span of my career. I, I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. I'm still throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. So as far as niche, you you don't have to have the answer before you launch. A lot of this stuff you learn as you go. You learn on the job. Your clients are going to tell you what is working, you know? And your clients will tell you um, sort of what your niche or niche is because you start to to turn into the therapist that you want to be just by being authentic and being you and, you know, doing what you love. You sort of create this this niche. You know, we we challenge a lot of our students to try to figure out who are you? What is your differential advantage? Who what sets you apart Mm -hmm. in the marketplace? And 
it's a hard question for a lot of people to really look at themselves. And oftentimes we tell them, okay, what do your clients say about you? Why do they come to you? What do you do? You know, to yes. try to figure out yes. who you are. Because sometimes it, it is really hard to look at yourself like that, right? But you already have a brand and an image. And sometimes you just don't know what it is yet. And you, you just got to ask the people who come to you because they come to you for, for a reason. Absolutely. I, oh my gosh, this is such an interesting conversation too, because there's so many different layers of depth to what we actually do as massage therapists and what, what does healing mean? Like what are our clients actually seeking? And so much of the time, I mean, this is my personal philosophy about it, but people want to feel paid attention to, and like they matter, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, maybe, I don't know, especially in America, I've been experiencing, especially over the last like decade, clients that have more and more, uh, I don't even know, just types of pain, almost like existential pain, um, frustration with the political system, frustration with, oh, just all kinds of things that are outside of our control, right? And so um, what I have found a lot of success with is just providing an experience that contradicts that belief system, like making people feel seen and heard and paid attention to and enjoyed. Um, so my niche over time has been people that I genuinely just have found a lot of enjoyment with. Mm-hmm. And um, this is before I sold the business, you know, starting over in San Antonio, it's been a new set of challenges and discovery, but I will say at Sunflower, um, by the time I, you know, moved, most of my clients had been with me for at least, I would say, five years plus by that point. Um, And people don't stick with you for that long just because they like your technique most of the time. You know, like if we're talking about really long-term client loyalty, they're with you for reasons beyond they like what you of course. do to their physical tissue. Because there's someone know? that does what you do technically better, but they're still with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like I don't have any emotional connection with my doctor. As soon as my insurance changes, I'm changing doctors if he's not in my network, you know, <laughs> but um I might go completely out of pocket for, uh, you know, somebody who does the kind of hair styling and, you know, cut that I really like. But even if they're more uh, expensive or I have to drive 20 minutes longer, if I love the environment and I love our banter and I just feel like it gives me a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. So it's really all about the feels and about what kind of uh, feelings-based experience are you providing your clients? So let me ask and, you this, Rachel. You have, yeah. you've sold your business. Um, so you, you operated for what, seven years? Was that what your message to me yeah. said? About seven years. Yeah. And then you've recently yeah. sold the business and now you're strictly um, an educator and business coach. So there I know because we've had so many of them on the podcast. There's a lot of business coaches in the States. I think that's a huge business down there. To oh be. my God. Everybody is calling themselves a coach nowadays. Everybody's a coach. Like, so tell me kind of crazy. what what sets you apart? You know, why, why do your clients find you? How do they find you? Why do people want to work with you to help them expand their practice? Well, I, so, I mean, you're talking just about the coaching, right? Yes. Okay. So usually it's just a matter of discovery and am I the right person to help them solve their problem? And do we have a connection? Do we understand each other? And, and that kind of thing. And by the way, I don't just coach massage therapists. Like that's actually not um, 
you know, who I market myself for. Um, I've worked with a few massage therapists, but more often than not, I work with small business owners across industries. So um, like right now I'm working with a guy who owns a construction company. Um, I've worked with a dentist. I've worked with a golf course owner. Um, It's really just all across the board just all kinds of stuff. And so it's just, it's a matter of lining up. Well, what's causing you the most pain? Do I understand that problem? Can I speak your language? Do we understand each other? Do we line up in terms of uh, my ability to help them? Do you ever turn Um, away a client? You know, have you had anybody come to you and they tell you? Yeah. Okay. So you sort of have. And I also help people for free all the time too. And if, I mean, and in the massage industry, a lot of the time they can't afford the rates that I charge for coaching. And so I just refer them on to somebody else that I know that maybe does group coaching. Mm -hmm. I also don't do group coaching. I only do one-to-one. So um, it may just not be a good fit from like that point of view, you Mm -hmm. know, the offering and the structure of it. Um, I've also, I have made exceptions to do like payment plans. If I really felt like there, there was some reason there was some compelling interest for me to make an adjustment to my structure. Mm-hmm. Like I have done that. Um, I'm not super rigid, but yeah, but generally um, the coaching for me is something I do simply for the joy of it. It's extremely fulfilling. I'm not in it to do coaching and only coaching and get rich coaching. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I do it because if anything that I've learned from my fumbling and stumbling and, you know, all the mistakes I've made along the way, if that helps expedite somebody else's success, that makes me feel amazing. So that's the feelings part for me that, you know, that's why I do it. It's the warm fuzzy that I get when I'm able to help somebody else. Are you um, still teaching as well? Yeah. So the teaching is my part-time day job. So um, let me just back up because my fiance and I moved down here about 18, 19 months ago. So coming up on two years, which is insane to think about. But um, when we first moved down here, I financially, we were pretty steady because of the sale of the business and all that. And uh, Ryan was also doing his thing. So we, we were financially covered. So we weren't just in survival mode. So I had the mental capacity to think outside survival mode and to think about, well, what do I even want to do? You know, I've got this amazing blank canvas kind of opportunity here that is amazing. Like how many people can say that they get the opportunity to sort of choose what they want to do, you know, in a totally new market. And so I thought long and hard about it. And I was like, I really, really love teaching and I really, really love coaching. So that's what I want to go head on and really focus on. Um, I also knew that I wanted to venture into the world of online education. Um, which that's a project that I'm hoping to launch in, in this year. Um, we're going to launch the website and get that going. That's the perfect partner massage oh, okay, uh, project right. that yeah. I've been working on. So I do have some projects in the works, but the coaching and the teaching were the two major things. And they're basically the same thing, right? If you're coaching, you're teaching. Um, but the teaching job sort of presented itself through the grapevine. We were out to dinner one night and um, somebody at the bar next to us, we just kind of started talking to them. And it turns out she's a massage instructor in Austin. And she had a lot to tell me about. And that was what kind of planted the seed. I was like, you know, I never even thought about teaching at a massage school, but let me do some Googling and and figure out what's going on. And there was a massage school literally like 10 minutes down the road from our house. And I know you guys don't know San Antonio, but this is a city where 
nothing is 10 minutes down the road. Everything is like at least like a 30 minute drive and traffic here. Oh my God. If I could do anything to avoid traffic in San Antonio, I'll do it. It's horrible. I live in Toronto. So <laughs> like, you, I, I want to believe you, but it's all traffic here all the time. Is it? Oh, yeah, no. All the time. Canadians are supposed to be nice, though. Are you guys like road ragers? Canadians are supposed to be nice. That is the key word there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that proves what I know. I don't know anything. But um, no, San Antonio, like, it's like everybody is trying to, I don't, and it's you, Southern hospitality and Southern you know, sweetness and niceness and all of that is famous. But then as soon as you get in your car and you're on the highway, it's like everybody's just trying to kill you. So if I can do anything to avoid being on the highway, I will. And so anyway, I found this massage school. It happened to be right down the road. I applied. I did have to get some additional education just to get um, a massage therapy instructor license. That's something that the state requires, not Mm -hmm. the whole country, just the state. So got that. That was fun and easy and Knock that out. And I've been teaching there for about, uh, let's see, it was a year in August. Or, excuse me, it was a year in October. Okay. Um, so, a little bit over a year. But I like it. I um, I do like it. I, I don't know, like, actually right now the thing I'm most passionate about my job uh, at this particular school is I'm helping them with their organizational development. And this is a side project that I'm doing just with the director of the campus. But um, some of the aspects of the culture and people and the systems and processes inside the uh, school uh, basically need some cleaning up. And I feel like, okay, the director's got, uh, he's, he's the very thin neck of a very wide funnel. So he's overwhelmed. And I'm like, well, I'll step up to the plate and, and help him out. So that's a project that I'm doing just you know, because I'm passionate about helping organizations run better, I guess. Mm-hmm. So let's talk and, about uh, perfect partner massage things. You're doing so many things. You're coaching, yeah. you're you're teaching at a massage school, and then your Instagram handle, which is how we connected, is perfect partner massage. Yeah. And I, I yeah. love the description here. It says, I teach people with no professional experience, education, or equipment how to give an epic therapeutic massage. So what is this business that you're launching? That's right. So I've done, I've been doing these since, I don't know. 2014. So for a good amount of time now. And basically I have taught group workshops and then custom partner workshops where I teach non-professionals with none of the language or the technical skill, how to um, provide either self-care or partner care. And this is something I'm especially passionate about. So one of the things that I started offering when I was back at Sunflower was uh, self-care coaching which I still do. But um, the uh, the major thing that I have learned is that, you know, you can either pay to come in and get a massage once a week, once a month, whatever frequency and what your budget allows, or I can teach you some really basic and easy skills that you can take home with you and practice with a partner. And it's, it's often not, <laughs> you don't have to do these big, fancy, complicated yoga poses, you know, to make it work. A lot of the time, it's just really simple stretches and breathing and communicating. And it will help, you know, long-term decrease pain, increase enjoyment and connection and all good stuff. And so it just, I've had more and more people over the years tell me how much they love it and get so excited. And then they tell their friends and so again, this was something that just kind of started with me throwing it at the wall and seeing if it stuck. 
And over time and across two markets now, I guess, two cities, I've realized that this is a need and this is a thing that people want. And with the online education stuff, this is definitely the right platform to deliver this. So what I'm really excited about is we've also been filming some of the partner tutorials that I've been doing. And um, I'm sure you guys know, like the editing process takes a while or can take a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> right. So that's what we're looking at this year, though, is we're um, sort of putting all of that stuff together behind the scenes is where um, I've written the scripts. I've got production sort of like we've got the timelines kind of hammered out. Um, we're going to be hiring friends and actors to come in and be the bodies. And then we're going to do the filming and editing all this year. So super exciting. But yeah, that's the perfect partner massage offering is it's basically online education that you don't have to have any professional background. We're not going to be utilizing professional equipment. We're going to be using what most people have at their disposal um, for most body positions. That includes chair and floor work. And it's going to be really simple stuff. It's not going to be like if my parents can do it, anybody can do it. And so... (laughs) That's and if my fiance can master this stuff, then anybody else can too. So, <laughs> well, for all <laughs> massage therapists listening, she's not trying to take you all out of business by teaching <laughs> teaching your clients and their partners how to do this themselves. No, no, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a common. That's a common point that comes up, Amanda. Does it really? Like, I was totally right? joking. That's funny. No, I've had this come up where um, massage therapists are like, "Well, aren't you afraid that once they learn it, they're not going to come to you?" And I'm like, "No, excuse my language," but I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" No, I've been doing this for over a decade. They're not, if anything, they're going to try some of these techniques and appreciate even more the skill that's required by professionals. I think if nothing else, this is going to um, increase the awareness and the appreciation that clients have for their massage therapist Mm -hmm. because they don't know how the sausage is made. You know, they don't know all of the stuff that goes into it. They, they only know that they show up and then it feels good and then they leave and, you know, yeah. um, they haven't actually tried it before. So no, I think it's going to be amazing for people that go through the program, you know, watch the videos and then they're like, wow, you know, I need to increase how much I tip my massage therapist. <laughs> Seriously. Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's cool. I actually have a client that I see, um, he travels a lot for work. So whenever he's in Toronto, he, he will contact me because he's got issues with uh, his knees, his ankles, his feet. And so he'll contact me, I'll do what I do, work my magic. He will be absolutely in shock that he's got zero pain. And, you know, I won't see him until he's in Toronto again. And, um, his wife actually came with him a couple of times when I was treating him because she wanted to see what I do so that when he's not Mm. able to come see me, she can try to give him some relief. So she wanted to learn some of the techniques that I'm using on him. And I was like, sure, like totally open to come in, come join me. Let's do this. So it it doesn't take away from him coming to see me. I'm obviously his go-to when he really needs a treatment. But I feel like, you know, that little bit of extra help, it's like, it's like home care. Sure. Let his wife do it. Saves me a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. How, how did that go? Like, were you, 
trying to show her like did she get in there at all and and do some of the strokes herself she she did she didn't do any herself when we were doing it like I mean I'm I'm not like you I'm not actually running a course and teaching I just kind of let her sit in and I was explaining to her Mm. what I was doing while I was doing it and it was it was good so she does help him out when he's not able to come see me that's awesome I love that she deserves the wife of the year award for asking oh she's such a sweetheart people that's that's so great and I love teaching significant other couples but I also love teaching like for example on Sunday I'm teaching a mother and daughter that's my first one that day yeah and I've done these events like I did a group workshop with partner massage for a ladies league at a golf course and that was so fun because it was all these ladies that were you know laughing and giggling and but they actually there was a big takeaway for most of them it was really um that was a really fun event and I love whenever I get to teach uh men as well um, I don't know why that's especially pleasurable for me to teach men, but uh, maybe it's because I think historically in my family, a lot of men don't take care of themselves. So when I see men like valuing that kind of thing, I get really excited and happy and I yeah. want to teach them all the things. All the um, things. Yeah. Well, yes. I want to, um, I mean, it's, it sounds really cool. I mean, it sounds like you are like super passionate about this industry. You've been in it for over a decade. You you've done the clinic thing. You've done some formal education. You're doing this perfect partner massage thing. You've done some business coach. Like you kind of do a little bit of everything. So for anybody who is actually listening that wants to connect with you, either to pick your brain or hire you as a coach or, you know, find out more about the perfect partner massage or the online education, what's the best way for people to find you? Um, best best way for people to find me is either uh directly through Facebook or Instagram. Um, my handle on Instagram is Rachel Wolf underscore LMT. Um, that's not the one I contacted y'all through, but that is my main Rachel Wolf LMT. Uh, and then on Facebook, it's just Rachel Wolf. That's me. Okay. I don't, I don't do any sort of like fake name or whatever. I'm pretty easy to find. All right. And just hit me up. All right. Well, I, I think that this has been really interesting. Like I said to you before we started recording is I just love having conversations with people in this industry who are doing things differently, you know, and it's really awesome that we get this feedback from people saying, I've learned so many things and you know, it's, it's helping people to realize how much potential and how many opportunities there are as a massage therapist to do different things. It doesn't have to be get a job at a clinic or a spa and go to work every day. There's so many different things you can do. And uh, I like that you're doing some really unique stuff. Thank you. You know, I, I personally feel like the key to life and business is to enjoy what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that speaks to my core values because I'm not the kind of person who can just punch in and punch out and enjoy my job. (laughs) I have to actually be able to put myself into it and put my heart into what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like in this particular industry, there are a lot of similar, similarly spirited folks that are like that. Um, and so if you're one of those people, you know, solo practice can be a wonderfully fulfilling thing. It can also be a uniquely challenging space to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a ton of community. You know, one of the things I love about our industry is that we're a community of helpers. We're helpers who love helping other helpers. And so you don't have to have, you know, a huge budget to just get started or to get your bearings or to figure out a plan. There are people like me that are accessible everywhere in the online space um, and in the offline space for that matter. Just, you know, find people near you, connect with others who have maybe been there and done that and are willing to give you some time. 
But yeah, I'm I'm one of many helpers that are out there. This is just an amazing industry. You have to know yourself. You have to have the feels, but you also do have to have a strategy and a plan. Um, <clears throat> and I I will say, if you're going to go into business for yourself, make sure that you have uh, a certain amount of financial solvency and mastery. That is one skill that you definitely want to have under your belt. Make sure you have a handle on your money. And also make sure that you know a little bit about marketing, you know where you are, you know your area, and you know your competition. So there are some, you know, quote unquote, hard skills that you're going to want to invest in learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but but <laughs> if you're a feelings-centered human, <laughs> this is probably one of the best industries that you can be a part of. Absolutely. You can find absolute epic fulfillment in this arena. And like you said, if there's stuff that you maybe don't know, like the marketing or, you know, certain hard skills that you need help with, there's such a community now you can find somebody to help you with anything. So Mm -hmm. I think anybody who, you know, really wants to take a stab at it, becoming an entrepreneur, and it's not for everybody, then, uh, you know, you just have to find the right resources. Do you think being an entrepreneur is something that you acquire or something you're born with? I want Mark to answer that question because I think he's got he's got more of an insight into that. Hold on. He stepped away. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I want Mark to answer it. And he was gone. I just got the look of death. Like, what the hell? I just walked away from the microphone. <laughs> Hold on. So I this is this is something that um, comes up a lot in the coaching community is like, what is an entrepreneur? Everybody says they want to be an entrepreneur. And a coach that I know uh, referred to um, Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> He's like, when I think of what it is to be an entrepreneur, I think of Captain Jack who has a ship that's like falling apart. It's being attacked by like cannonballs are flying. Chaos is everywhere. And there he is standing perfectly still half drunk, just cool as a cucumber. <laughs> and that image <laughs> to this coach is what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I have to say, it's pretty brilliant. I know a lot of times when I think you know, when we think about what it is to be an entrepreneur, a lot of it is mindset and to be opportunistic. And, you know, so I, I'm just wondering, are those skills that we can develop over time? Or is part of that that we're just born that way? Or so now that he's back online, what do you think, Mark, you think you're born an entrepreneur? Or do you think you are made? Uh, it's a combination of the two. Definitely. There's there's skills that you can acquire that would help you along the way in, in your journey as an entrepreneur. But you know, the backbone of being able to get punched in the face, being able to eat shit and say, this is something I still want to do, uh, being risky enough or, or fearless enough to, to stand in the middle of all the chaos. Like that's, I don't think you can teach that. Mm-hmm. So th- there's, there's definitely qualities that you are born with or, you know, they're, they're in you somehow and they're brought out, but not everyone can do it. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Right. Not everyone's meant to be. A great entrepreneur needs a number one and a number two. And if you don't have yeah. if you don't have that risk taking capability, then it's not for you. That's great. Go be the number one or number two to someone who does have that risk taking ability and they need a number one or number two. You've said number one and number two a lot. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, Captain Jack, why don't we wrap it up here? Because we've taken up a lot of Rachel's time. So, uh, Rachel, before we go, is there anything else that you want to say? No, you guys are are fantastic. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us this afternoon. Right on. This has been a good start to 2020. Amen. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.